I'm going to go ahead on a limb and say this either is or will become your favorite podcast. This is Cheryl, the show that's so good, you got to tell someone about it. Every episode, we explore the impact of people and technology on our lives and careers, and we send you away with something shareable. Now, without further ado, let's get to it. Hey there, welcome back to Shareable. It's me, your host, Jeff Gibbard, and I just want to do a little bit of housekeeping before today's episode with Jeff Van Meter, who, by the way, was a phenomenal guest. We talked all about leadership, and uh, it was a really great discussion. But before I get there, I wanted to let you know some really important but exciting news. Uh, you may be a little dismayed to hear, but trust me, there's good news coming. The big announcement is that I'm going to be winding down Shareable. There will be no more shareable after uh, a couple weeks from now, uh, probably another four episodes I think I have in the queue. Um, But after that, I'm actually going to be shutting down shareable and launching a brand new show. And the brand new show is called Rogue. Rogue is going to be a podcast. It's an allusion to the X-Men character Rogue, who has the ability to absorb other people's superpower through touch. And what I am going to be doing is exploring other people's superpowers and understanding how they work, looking through their origin story, figuring out how they got to where they are, looking at where they overcame adversity, and trying to basically distill down how you as a listener can walk away understanding how to replicate that very same superpower by understanding where these people came from and the different events in their lives that triggered them to think a different way to change the world. So that's what the new show is going to be about. It's going to be freaking awesome. Uh, again, it's called Rogue. Uh, you're going to be able to find it by going to jeffgibbard.com slash R-O-G-U-E. And um, I hope you'll subscribe. Check it out on iTunes and give us a five-star rating. Uh, the show is not live yet if you're listening to this episode, uh, but I will be putting up the trailer for the show so that you can listen to it and learn a little bit more about what the show is going to be all about. Uh, and I hope that you'll join me over there if you've enjoyed Shareable uh, over these couple of years. I hope that you'll come and join me over and listen to Rogue and promote it to people that you know, let people know about it. Uh, I really feel like Rogue is a, is somewhat the evolution of what Shareable was about, uh, which was really getting inside of people's lives and experiences and showing that there's a commonality between all of us. Uh, And because of the type of guests that I bring on, all of them have this unique ability, this superpower. And Rogue is really about the shift towards me trying to uncover what that is. The other part of it is that the reason why I'm not just changing the format of Shareable is that I actually have a bunch of other new initiatives that I'm going to be coming out with shortly that also relate back to finding your inner superpower, looking inside of yourself and finding that superhero. Uh, It ties together a lot of the work I've been doing, and I'm excited to share more about that in future episodes of... um, Uh, I'll be sharing it in Rogue, but I'll also be sharing it probably at the beginning of some of the episodes of Shareable. And uh, if you want to follow what I'm working on and learn more about it, you can go to jeffgibbard.com and learn all about it. Thank you so much for being a listener of Shareable all of this time. Thank you for your ratings, your reviews, your comments, the engagement, everything, your feedback. All of that stuff has been super valuable for me, and it's what's helped me find this path of launching this new show. And I hope you'll join me uh, on the new show. And um, again, thank you. And here's the show with Jeff Van Meter. Hi, my name is Dr. Jeff Van Meter, and I own a company called The Human Leader. When I first started thinking about leadership, I think I was probably in my uh, 30s, and I wanted to know what makes a good leader. And I also discovered that I wasn't a very good follower. So uh, I got fired from a job. That's a whole big different story. 
um, due to my behavior, a uh, little bit immature. And from then on, I kind of moved into an entrepreneurial direction. And I went back to school, I became a clinical psychologist, and I knew going in that I would have to have my own practice. And so I started my practice and it just started growing. Um, I'm looking back, I might say, in spite of what I was doing, it just kept growing. And uh, we hit a point about uh, seven years ago. And uh, it was right when the Affordable Care Act, also commonly known as Obamacare, was being implemented. And it was causing insurance companies to drastically relook at how they reimbursed. And in basically in six months, I was given six months warning and uh, the biggest insurance reimburser we had cut our rates by, well, some of my employees, it cut their rate by 40%. Imagine just walking in and one day you're getting paid $100 and the next day you're getting $60 for the exact same uh, the exact same service and it hit the uh, practice more like 20% just because we had a different mix of, of people. Anyway, uh, to make a long story short, that started a cascade of uh, events that uh, I lost over half my employees and I came to this discovery that I knew next to nothing about how to lead. I thought I was leading, but really all I was doing was uh, saying yes. So that that started a journey that uh, continues to this day. Um, and I started with the human leader because I thought, um, I'm just human. I, I need to stop trying to act like I know what I'm doing and just be human. And then that kind of morphed into, you know, really what it is, is we're not leading things we're leading humans and we're leading people and to be the most effective leader we need to stop thinking like we live in the late 1800s or early 1900s where people were very devalued and just understanding no we actually lead other human beings who have just as much value so that's kind of where it came from it's really interesting how many people that get into the work of leadership um, have such a sort of a similar origin story. Um, I, I'm curious, you mentioned that you had this kind of, um, uh, you either got fired, or you got laid off or you quit or at the beginning, that part. Mm -hmm. um, how much of your desire to learn about leadership, to coach people on leadership, to become a great leader, to learn all the aspects of that, came out of experiences of bad leadership. You know, a lot of the entrepreneurs that I know and myself included are what I would call psychologically unemployable. We're really bad at having a boss. We're really bad at taking orders. We want to yes. do our own thing, carve our own path. Um, and I think some of that sometimes comes out of having had bad experiences with people who are incapable of actually leading effectively and powerfully. Talk to me a little bit about that experience back then and, and how much of the leadership that you were exposed to helped to shape this direction that you were going in? Sure, I, w I was working, I was fresh out of college and um, I had a degree in engineering, industrial engineering, and I was working for, at the time, what was the largest uh, accounting slash consulting firm 
in the in the world um they were known as it was known as uh, a company called arthur anderson which most people have heard of and uh i started in in their consulting group and had this wonderful boss who i just really thought had lots of integrity and character and I was there about two years and then he left and took a job with a different organization and the person they brought in just, I just couldn't relate to. He completely rubbed me the wrong way. Um, and this was back in the mid eighties. And, uh, I think what encapsulated it for me, not only he, he was arrogant, um, he was never wrong. Uh, but what really encapsulated it for me that was, it was shocking to me back then, but totally acceptable. He had this tie and it was a black tie with gold uh, stitching on it. Very sharp looking. He dressed very sharply. Um, and, but if you looked closely at the tie, you realized that the stitching all formed uh, created a picture and it was, you know, repeated all over the tie of a woman with bare breasts. And I was just shocked, uh, that that was acceptable. And for me, it was probably a bit more of a moral indignation than a women's rights indignation at the time. Uh, but since then it's become more of a, wow, you know, how degradating to the other women who worked in the thing and nobody ever said anything. And for me, that encapsulated who he was. And, um, I was very impulsive and immature and started, uh, doing things in the office more, just got really lazy and coming in late and, uh, trash talking different things and, uh, very passive aggressive things like that. So, so I had a lot of personal growth to do and I was just so shocked that he would, that he would wear that. Um, nowadays I think he'd probably get fired. I would hope. Uh, but back then it was just like, you know, much more the good old boy kind of thing. That makes perfect sense. Uh, and that is definitely appalling. Um, just, just the fact that somebody would consider that to be okay and just not err on the side of, you know, maybe I, I have other ties. Maybe I should just go with this other tie. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm actually curious coming out of that, you know, you mentioned, you, you've said it twice now that you were a little bit immature and, you know, you started doing these different things and you work in leadership now. And I think seeing how bad bosses behave is definitely a major influence for me in my own work in leadership. And I'm, I'm sure that it, it, you know, from the sounds of it, it was impactful for you but you mentioned your own kind of missteps. How much would you say in the development of your leadership philosophy and program, would you say that your own mistakes, um, you know, if we were to make it a pie chart, right? Like there's bad bosses, there's great inspirational leaders, and then there's your own good and bad experiences. How much would you say your own uh, immaturity and early mistakes have gone into form what a better leadership philosophy looks like? I would, yeah, that's a great, uh, Great concept. I've never thought of it in in percentage before, but I I would say probably two thirds at least. I would say maybe um, yeah, probably two thirds, because my 
primary philosophy is to be a truly great leader in the way that I believe great leadership plays out, you first have to lead yourself. You have to have a, a, a lot of self-awareness, a lot of uh, understanding of your challenges, your uh, often called blind spots, um, but even beyond blind spots, understanding why those develop, why you react the way you do in different situations with the people you lead. For, for example, for me, like, personally, I was very conflict avoidant in my practice. And so as it evolved, of course, it kept growing because people could come in and kind of do whatever they want. And um, there were no uh, real standards set up or anything like that. It's like, I just thought, well, everybody's a professional here and we can just get along, we'll go along. And that ended up as another part of why people left. Once the money wasn't there, they're like, well, there's nothing here for me. Let me go find someplace else or go off on my own, things like that. So the, the bottom line being that my philosophy primarily is driven by that to be a really excellent leader. If you don't understand who you are and why you're responding the way you do, then eventually you're going to have some sort of uh, crisis. Now that makes perfect sense. So, so, so some of the, um, the changes that you've implemented in the way that you behave and also in, obviously in the coaching have been the result of, of things that haven't gone right, shifting the attention towards things that have gone well. Um, you know, people don't just get into leadership for one reason or another, it's usually a combination of different things. Maybe you were inspired by somebody and maybe you just saw other people do it so terribly, I can do a better job. It sounds to me like you probably are a combination of each. Can you talk to me a little bit about maybe some leaders who inspired you to say, this is a career path I want to go in. I want to help develop leaders that are like this individual or that individual. Uh, do you have any inspirations that, that you look to then or, or possibly even now? I know for myself, you know, I look at the work of Simon Sinek and I'm like, that guy's amazing. I love what he's working on. You know, everything he's saying is resonating with me, making sense, and there's a handful of others, but who are some sure. of your inspirations? Sure. So um, <clears throat> it's been an interesting journey because my early inspiration, inspirational leaders would be the probably the most common ones that people talked about back in the 80s and 90s and, um, you know, reading uh, Jack Welch and uh, then... Uh, also good to great and books like that where I thought, man, these guys got it all together and, and it would be so great if I could be that way at the same time, having this kind of dissonance of, but somehow or another, they're just so much better than I am. And, and it seemed like this impossible, unattain, unattainable goal. Um, and then Probably then in the last seven years, it switched greatly. Uh, and I know that uh, other guests have talked about Brene Brown um, and her work on vulnerability. And that had great impact on me because she just started speaking all the stuff that I believed. And then, of course, I had the jealousy aspect of, dang, why didn't I write that? Um, <laughs> but uh, also, um, Simon Sinek's stuff is really good. Uh, 
I laugh because my first thing, my first foray into public speaking and leadership, I thought was going to be, it was all about the why and you have to know the why. And that was about six months before, no, yeah, I don't know. It was right around when his book came out, but I hadn't heard of it yet. And I was like, oh, okay, there's another great idea. Um, <laughs> and, but as far as I, I know, you know, Michael Port, um, I watched how he developed his uh, heroic public speaking comp company and how he led that. And that was real inspiring for me. I'm trying to think of who else. Oh, yeah. Uh, probably the biggest impact of any current thinker was Patrick Lencioni. Um, and his, his, the first book of his I read was Five Dysfunctions of a Team. And I read that when all this was going on with my, my group and realized that we had all five of those dysfunctions. So, Well, you've just pushed that up further in my reading list. It's, it's on my reading list, um, but I had, had it kind of stuffed in the, the next like five or 10 books that I'm uh -huh. going to read. So I'll have to push that a little bit further up in my, uh, in my queue. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, all the people you mentioned, uh, all, all very inspiring for me as well. I'm, I'm glad that you kind of put that, uh, that book back on my radar, The Five Dysfunctions of the Team. Um, so I'll put that in the show notes as well. Um, so I, I'm really glad to have you on the show, I, I, as you know, because I know you've listened to some of the episodes and you know a lot of the people that I've had on the show mm -hmm. um, that I discuss leadership a lot. It's a major passion of mine. You probably know that I'm writing a book on leadership. So mm -hmm. I, I'm very, very interested in the subject. I, I'm super passionate about it. But you come from a different background with it that I think gives a really interesting perspective that not a lot of people can come into it with. And that's your clinical background, your uh, study of psychology. And I want to kind of talk to you a little bit about that and have you educate our audience a bit about the importance of psychology and understanding psychology and certain principles as you go about trying to become a better leader. So, um, you know, the, the thesis being that psychology is obviously important to understand in leadership. And I'm just hoping at, at the start of this, can you just substantiate why that is a true thesis? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I totally agree. I think so. A lot of the leadership material that's out there is how, what I classify as teaching uh, techniques and skills and mindset, which is all very important. And I don't want to diminish that at all. Um, and Techniques and skills can have some psychology uh, in it, and mindset definitely is, you know, kind of a psychological concept. And what I think is the next, what I truly believe is the next wave of, of leadership is more of a deeper understanding of the psychology of yourself and the people that you're working with. And I guess, Jeff, the other thing I would say is it's, it's also beyond just knowing personality types. Um, I know in the group that we both share, there was a huge discussion about uh, um, various things that speakers say that aren't actually quite true. And it kind of turned into in, in one section about uh, personality type tests and that sort of thing. And um, I agreed with pretty much what 
most everybody was saying, the, the problem with personality tests is they can give you wonderful insight into yourself and even the people you work with, but they are a snapshot in time. They are how that person responded to those what we call forced choice questions, which means you have to either say true or false or yes or no, that sort of thing. Um, and there's little nuance to them. And then you aggregate all those responses and come up with, well, you're this kind of person, you're that kind of person. And like I say, there's lots of truth in that. While at the same time, it doesn't go to the depth of any individual's personality differences and lifestyle or life differences how they think and, and how they're going to respond in a given situation. Because you could take the exact same test under, say, a stress situation, and you would come out very differently. So all of that kind of to get to the point of, are, as a leader, your understanding of how people think and act and why they think and act in the way they do will become is becoming more and more and more important. Uh, I made reference early on that we don't, we aren't back in the 18th and 19th, early 19th century. Back then, um, the overarching psychology of people was by and large, you were born into the position that you were gonna have in life and you were gonna die in that position with some exceptions. But, uh, you know, if you go back a little further, you were born royalty or you were not. And you were born privileged or you were not. And what we have, what we have now is people who have completely rejected that, rightfully so. And maybe we've gone a little to the extreme of you can be anything because I will never be a pro basketball basketball player but that was uh, my original dream was to be the starting point guard for the Knicks I wanted it so badly yeah how did that, and that just didn't quite happen did it it didn't it didn't I, and I'm quite good but I'm quite good for like a five foot five amateur 39 <laughs> <nine> year old <laughs> exactly but there is a lot of truth in you know and I tell my own kids yeah you can you can be what you want to be if you're willing to put the work in for it, but it's a whole, I, I think people underestimate how new that thinking is because it, it's been around for a while, but even in, even in the late seventies and early eighties, you still, you know, if your parents were blue collar workers, chances were you were be, going to be a blue collar worker. If you were in poverty and although I, Got to be careful because people stuck in poverty are still stuck in poverty, often not through their own, any fault of their own. But, but the classes were still more clearly defined. Yes, people would move up out of them or, or down. And the goal was always, how do I get a little further ahead or that sort of thing. But by and large, you, once you got into a groove, that's what you were going to be. Now it's, it's different, rightfully so. People talk about millennials and all that. The best thing about a millennial that companies hate is, hey, if if I'm not growing, if I'm not improving, if this doesn't fit with my uh, expectations and my value system, I'm out of here because I can always get another job. So 
I kind of went off down a rabbit hole there, but uh, as a leader, you have to understand that psychology. You have to understand how, how people think differently. And just because someone is quiet in one situation doesn't mean that they aren't the person you need to go to the next time around because they have a, an insight or a skill that you need. No, that makes perfect sense. And I actually kind of want to go a little further on that because even if we go back, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes in our conversation, you talked a little bit about how some of my other guests have, have spoken about Brene Brown and you go into vulnerability and then you look at her stuff and you start thinking like, oh, why didn't I write that? I mean, it happens to me all the time. I read Dichotomy of Leadership by Jocko Willink and aside from not being a Navy SEAL, the yeah. idea of ownership, I was like, yeah, I get that. I could have written about that. But right. of course he wrote that and it was he and, uh, and um, Leif Babin just wrote an epic, amazing book that I could never have potentially written because of the different experiences. But the, the ideas in there, I was like, I want to write about them, but now it's taken. All right. You get this kind of like imposter syndrome and then you start, you know, I've been writing my book now since God, like February of 2016 and just building upon it and editing it and growing it. But I always have these moments of like, man, why am I even trying? There's other people out there who have already done it. And that also links in. I mean, if you think about accomplishing anything, just self-leadership, forget about leading others, but mm -hmm. how do you even uh, get over that hump to lead yourself without understanding that there are psychological forces at work that are keeping you from, uh, from getting over that imposter syndrome or from getting out of bed or doing the work because you're so worried about maybe what other people think or whether or not it'll work or whether it'll fail. And then when you extend that and start thinking about, okay, well now I have to lead other people. And you brought up millennials, great example, because, you know, I'm, I'm what's known as a bridge generation or a zillennial, I guess. Mm -hmm. uh, where I'm in between millennials and baby boomers and, and the two groups just cannot figure each other out. And I, I feel like the generation I'm in being 39, I can understand where the baby boomer generation is coming from. And I can understand where millennials are coming from. And it's just a psychological shift in terms of what's a priority. Um, so, you know, I, I, I think the fact that you're bringing this clinical background into this work is so incredibly valuable and important because so often the leaders that I speak to that are like, oh, millennials, this millennials, that they're, they're trying to expect somebody else to think like they do, but they have no idea how to bridge that gap of communication. Um, I'm curious, you know, one of your titles that uh, you have on your website is CEO Consig Consigliere, right? Am I saying it right? It's like the godfather. Consigliere. Yeah. Consigliere. There we go. Right. So, so you're the Robert Duvall character for CEOs. Um, <laughs> and so you're working with people who are, you know, presumably generally going to be in the older class of people uh, who are a little bit more, you know, they're further, they're seasoned in their career and they may be mm -hmm. working with younger people. How are you working to get them to understand that it's really, it's a psychological shift that needs to happen for them more so than them using a tip or a trick or a tactic. They need to understand the underlying principles of it. How do you go about making progress on that with them? Well, so the first, the first, the first step is admitting you have a problem. Um, <laughs> the, so the first thing I do with them is truly to start I have to win their trust, of course, and, and that's probably been one of the, the biggest stumbling blocks of uh, this work is because they, they're like, I didn't hire you to be my therapist, and I'm like, I get that, yet you did hire me, and I am a clinical psychologist, so we're going there. Um, and 
so then I take it, Jeff, and now I will start talking to them about, okay, so what is it about this person that just gets you so frustrated? What are they doing? And then they'll start describing their be that other person's behavior, right? Whether it be the millennial or, or whomever that, uh, that they do. And then one of the key questions I ask is, okay, so what, describe in detail to me what these feelings are that, that you're feeling. And yeah, usually it's anger and frustration. Um, and then I'll say, okay, but let's go a little deeper. What's behind the anger? What's, what's going on behind that frustration or disappointment? And then the, probably the most vital question I'll ask is, okay, so start telling me times where you felt this exact same emotion before. And it'll be a little bit of a struggle, especially with business leaders, because then that's when they start objecting, this isn't therapy. And I'll say, just bear with me. And what we often find, not often, well, I, I guess I might almost say almost all the time, there is something in their past that this current thing is uh, kind of bringing up in them. And for example, I worked with uh, the president of his own family's company and his brothers worked there too. And he couldn't understand why he couldn't get them to do anything and why they were constantly opposing him. And we kept, I kept digging and digging and finally realized, he finally realized, he came to the realization, oh my gosh, this is the exact same dynamic that played out every Sunday when our family would, uh, after, after church, we'd be able, our dad would say, who, all, who used to own the company, would say, all right, um, if you guys can decide on a place, we'll go out and, and get something to eat. And every Sunday, they ended up going home without going out to eat because the boys couldn't come to any agreement. And so we started working on that and talking through how that dynamic was still coming in today and it helped him almost immediately mature in within himself and stop having those battles and stop feeling like he had to win and much more just look at okay what's going to be best for the company and is perhaps maybe what they're saying is fine and i can go along with that does that does that make sense yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. And it leads me to the next point I wanted to ask you about, which is about change and how much people are actually able to change. Because I think one of the frustrations, I, again, you're much further along in your career working in leadership than I am. I'm very early in on it. I've worked with several different leaders. And one of the things that I've truly struggled with is the difficulty in getting people to actually adopt the change that they agree to adopt and mm -hmm. make it a long lasting change. And I'm curious how you found any success with that because I, I feel like there's kind of two layers that happen in my experience that I've seen is that there's what someone says that they're willing to do and what, they're, what they want, and then there's what they actually will do or what they actually want. Um, and, and even at times where I feel like I've gotten, maybe not to the level that you get to with sort of like the business therapy sessions, but finding out what's really, you know, what they really want in their business and giving them the tools to do it and, you know, trying to coach them through it. They just fall back into these old patterns 
Um, how do you go about leveraging some of the training that you've had to be able to impact and create long lasting change? Yeah. So I, you're absolutely right. I mean, that, that is the biggest issue. I think no matter what with uh, trying to get people to make those changes. And so the first answer of course is kind of your standard, um, what, what we learn in coaching, what, what we try and do when we're in that kind of training where, well, what's the roadblock? Okay, let's get that roadblock out of the way and then we'll move on. But I think what you're alluding to is great. Yeah. We find all these roadblocks and then there's no more roadblocks and they still don't change or they still don't keep it going. And, um, it's a combination of there is brain science that is getting stronger all the time, obviously of, you know, the neural pathways of the way we've always done it are our strongest neural pathways. They're the super highway of how we make quick decisions and, and the heuristics that we live by and to change those just like, changing a habit. It's not three weeks. It's, it's not even three months. It's just an ongoing having a, uh, a, a higher reason to do something differently until we develop that whole new way of thinking. So that's part of it. But what I found from my work is that one of the reasons we can't do that is because that roadblock is very internal. It's, um, it's, whether it be just this way of thinking that we developed as we were growing up or it was an experience or a, a series of experiences that we had that uh, as we were growing and developing who we were that dominate our, our psyche. Um, conflict for me, even though I said I'm less conflict avoidant, it's still very difficult for me. And one of the things I know is because I grew up as this scrawny little kid who was picked on a lot. And well, I shouldn't, there were periods where I was picked on and, but I was always picked on by, you know, some big stupid uh, dude. Um, and I, I would talk my way out of it. So I developed this pattern of trying of always talking my way out of situations as opposed to actually confronting the situation. And that has affected my leadership. So I have to remember, and when I realize I'm not changing or that I made a commitment and then I didn't follow through, what happened? And when it's a case of, oh, well, there was conflict there and you were avoiding that conflict again. Um, so I, I, I keep coming back to that same theme of it's that really deep understanding of, of who you are. And a lot of times then people say, well, so what, I need to go get like hours and hours of therapy. And I'm like, or, and I'm, my typical answer is no, you really don't. But what you do need to do is go on a deep kind of dive into, you keep asking yourself, why do I do this? Why do I do this? So my why is a little bit different. Um, the why is more the, what is my motivation? Why, why, what made me mad about that? You know, um, if I blow up at my kids, it's typically because I feel like they've disrespected me. And from their perspective, they're just being, you know, 
teenagers, but if I tell them to do something and they completely don't do it, um, I have a tendency to get pretty ticked. And if one of them were standing right here, they'd be nodding their head. Uh -huh. <laughs> so um, I keep going down rabbit holes, Jeff. <laughs> no, that, I mean, that's kind of the point of, of the, the conversation, right? And um, you know that the podcast isn't uh, designed to be short form. It's not designed to be long form. It's designed to be the adequate length for us to explore whatever topics we want and go down whatever rabbit holes we want. Yeah. Um, but, I, but I think you're doing a nice job of kind of planting the seeds for me to keep following. And okay. I think that the kind of point that I think that, that wraps all of these in a nice neat little bow for us that we can really kind of dive deep into now is, um, you know, you've, you've talked a bit about the, you know, the impact of psychology, because that's, that's kind of the, the perspective you take, some of your background and how that informed it, some of the, the fears that you brought into it and things you've had to overcome. And at the end of all of this, you, in your role coaching CEOs and in coaching leaders, have some sort of a, for lack of a better word, philosophy. You have a certain approach that you take, a certain set of maybe uh, standard questions you might ask, certain ideas and, and sort of uh, shorthands that you might turn back to or frameworks. I'm curious about how all of these things come together and give you sort of a program that you're able to put people through, maybe not cookie cutter, uh, cookie cutter and, and standardized, but that there's a certain methodology that you apply. Can you, uh, I guess at the start of this question, if you could just um, summarize what you would consider your leadership philosophy to be. And then I'd like to explore a little bit further about how the audience can take some things away from that so that they might be a better leader themselves. Okay. So you just um, probably hit on the question I struggle with most because it isn't, it, it very much isn't cookie cutter as far as a process yet in order to really, um, write a book about it or, and, or even promote it, you kind of have to be able to do that. So now you've hit on my huge struggle that uh, I've been working on for the last few years. But anyway, uh, the, so, so my overarching philosophy is very much that being a leader involves knowing yourself. It's along the same lines of physician heal thyself. Um, it's, it's leader lead thyself first. And that involves, you know, what you were talking about a, a minute ago of, well, how do you get lasting change? My going in position with somebody who isn't able to change or, or doesn't follow through with it would be because, well, they're really not leading themselves. They're trying to do everything else except actually make the change that they need to make uh, so that they can, can follow through with, with, you know, whatever the initiative happens to be. Um, and, and then my second philosophy behind that is that they also um, are avoiding that for some reason that they don't understand. And it takes talking it through with somebody else. And it doesn't have to be a therapist. It can be a very insightful um, uh, friend or spouse or uh, coworker. I say in my speeches, if you really want to get to know yourself and you're brave enough, ask your spouse to be totally honest with you. <laughs> so, so that's kind of my overlook. 
my overarching philosophy. Um, and as far as like something that your audience could take away and apply right away, it would be exactly that. If, if you are struggling and you keep doing the same thing over and over, even though you want to change it, and, and this can be whether you're uh, leading your company or leading a division or even as a parent, um, and, and you keep doing something that you know you don't want to do, the first thing that I would encourage people to do is find a trusted person who they can talk to and say, look, here's what I keep doing. I don't understand. It's not me. I don't, I don't understand why I would keep doing this because it goes against what I say. I believe it goes against um, how I want to raise my kids or how I want to, um, how I want to lead my division or my department or any of those things. And give them the permission and be ready for them to be totally honest with you. And you have to let your guard down and you have to let them talk and not interrupt them, not justify it, not go off on something that they said and then just sit there and ruminate about it without listening, without listening to the rest of what they're saying. Got it. I, I actually really like that. And I would here's I'm going to leave this episode with an offer for you and we can, we can talk it out before we, we jump off, but here's, here's my thoughts. I'm going to play therapist for you for a minute. Awesome. Um, here's what I think your thing is. I think, I think to a certain extent from the, from the tone of it, it sounds a little bit like you shy away from bringing the psychology therapist, clinical practice side of things into it. So when people say like, you know, I didn't hire you for therapy, Mm -hmm. I feel like your shtick should not shtick, but your, your position should be, actually you did. The thing that makes me different mm -hmm. is I'm coming in with this, with this perspective. And I think from the sound of it, that's the thing that you should lean into most is this idea of introspective leadership and the best person that's going to be able to get to the bottom of that and dig to it so that you can actually affect and impact long lasting change is somebody who's clinically trained. And mm -hmm. I don't think that, I think that's actually your big differentiator. It's one of the reasons why when, I saw that we were going to be talking. I was like, this is going to be freaking awesome. And I think the only thing that you're struggling with because you come from a clinical background and you work in leadership and not in marketing mm -hmm. is getting that outside perspective that says, actually, hey, here's your differentiator. And because I work in marketing, this is what I'm seeing. And you can take that or leave that. But I think introspective leadership is kind of your, your um, I guess, the, the tagline for what you do, which is explore, you know, for the leader, start with yourself. And here's how I get to the bottom of that because I have a unique set of skills and training that other people can't match. So when they say, I didn't pay you for therapy, you say, you did. Yeah. You did because I'm going to come in and I'm going to use that skill to make you a better leader. Well, thank you for that. That's really, I don't, I don't think I've ever used the term introspective leadership. I, did you just come up with that right there? Yeah, I'm actually, I was, as you were saying it, and you were talking about like how you, like what you do, I actually just titled the episode Introspective Leadership. Oh, wow. Yeah, because that's, I, I struggle with titles. I struggle with that kind of branding stuff. And you're absolutely right, because I don't come from that background. I love that. Um, and it will absolutely, it'll bring the people to me who want that. And it will, the people who don't want that won't seek me out. And that's yeah. great. 
Right? And that's, here's the thing, like, this is the other thing. As an entrepreneur, I can tell you the one thing that just about every entrepreneur does need is a therapist. Like, <laughs> so real, like not even kidding. We are all a little bit cuckoo and we definitely <laughs> need someone to talk it out with and we put way too much pressure on ourselves and we constantly suffer from whether or not we can do it or not do it, the whole imposter fraud syndrome thing, the whole, yep. am I good enough to, the, to, to lead this team? Like, do I know enough? Holy yep. God, I said this thing and now I'm going to beat myself up for it. Like, so, yep. yeah, I mean, that is, that is your superpower that you bring to this. And, and if I were you, I'd lean right into it. And, um, and if somebody's going to bring that conflict, you don't have to talk your way out of that. Right. I, I would just hit them, I would smash the helmets together and say, that's actually why you did hire me. Yeah. Wow. That, that, I didn't know I was going to get that out of today, Jeff. That's awesome. <laughs> well, then I guess we could say, um, this episode was successful for both of us. I hope the audience enjoyed it. And, uh, I guess if I had to say anything about the episode, if I had to like describe it to people, they were like, Hey, how is it having Jeff Van Meter on? I guess I would say the episode was shareable. Wait, the show's not over yet. I have some important announcements. If you made it this far, you're clearly a dedicated fan or you're in the middle of vacuuming and just haven't hit stop on your podcasting app. Whatever the case, we want to thank you. We're not just music to your ears, we're music to your inbox. If you subscribe to our email list at sharablepodcast.com slash subscribe, not only will you get access to our private Facebook group, you'll also get all of our blog posts, newsletters, special announcements, and more. You won't find any of that in your podcast feed. You can follow the show at shareable underscore pod on Twitter and just shareable podcast on everything else. You can find Jeff online at jeffgibber.com and you can connect with me on Twitter at Caroline Sohn because I don't have a website yet. So go ahead, call us, leave a message, subscribe to our list, leave a rating, review us on iTunes, tell a friend, tell your mom. If she's like my mom, she'll love it. And now for the thank you portion to all the folks that make this podcast possible, shout out to DJ Quads for the use of our theme song, Always, and Ahamitsu for the use of our outro song, Adventures. And a big thank you to Ray Bueno for all of that sexy production value. 